Hello and welcome to the Liminal Gallery podcast with me, the founder and director of Liminal, Louise Fitzjohn. podcast is an opportunity to speak to the contemporary artists I'm exhibiting in my Margate-based art gallery. With an exciting program of solo and group exhibitions, hosting this podcast is a fantastic way to delve deeper into the artist's practice and to probe their innermost thoughts about their exhibitions. Liminal Gallery was founded in April 2021 and works with contemporary artists currently practicing across the UK and Ireland, showing the incredibly diverse creatives that are based here. I've been working in the art world for over a decade and I'm incredibly passionate about fully supporting the artists that I work with and I spend most of my time trawling through social media to find artworks which blow my socks off. The artists I work with have an approach which I haven't seen before, a unique talent which spans across the mediums. I'm so excited to share these artists with you as we have in-depth conversations exploring the artists' lives and works into what makes them tick and what gets a ticking off. So I hope you'll join me both on this podcast and down in Margate where you can see the exhibitions of these artists in person. I'm delighted to share that the 10th guest on the Liminal Gallery podcast is with contemporary artist Jemima Sara, who is the first artist to ever exhibit in our new space, The Cupboard, with a show entitled The Toilet, which opened on the 11th of March in Liminal Gallery. Jemima Sara is a multidisciplinary artist who incorporates the fluidity of everyday life, mental health, and freedom of expression into her practice. Loose lines and pastel palettes combined with punchy text span across 2D, 3D, found objects, and textiles. Known for her hand-scrawled, strongly opinionated feminist statements written across canvas, paper, and ephemera, she has most recently been interested with toilets and feces as a metaphor for safe spaces, humanity, and vulnerability. Her work ignites the need for conversation, opening up about our deepest fears, our dreams, our potential, alongside a light-hearted dose of humour. Jemima Sara also creates wonderful, all-consuming, site-specific, interactive artworks for galleries and public spaces, ranging from events to installations. Jemima studied puppetry at the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama, graduating in 2018, followed by an MFA in drawing at Camberwell, graduating in 2021. Jemima's recent exhibitions include Catalogue at Galleria F and Dio, Madrid in 2022, the Crossover Project as part of the London Design Festival in September 2022, Don't Flush It Down, installation at the Royal Exchange London in July 2022, and solo exhibitions, I've Lost My Faith in This Crap in May 2022, and My Mind is a Toilet in October 2021, both at Crate Gallery in Margate. Jemima Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. I can't believe I'm the 10th guest. I know. <laughs> Double digits. Ah, congrats. That's a very special one. No pressure. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so my first question, the first time that I saw your work was at your exhibition, I've lost my faith in this crap in the crate exhibition space in Margate last year. You covered every inch in your drawings. It was like entering the inner workings of your mind. Absolutely all-consuming, a bit claustrophobic and relentlessly fun with spinning canvases, merch and, of course, you. You were there invigilating and you're so friendly and chatty and interesting. You also previously opened a shop in your hometown of Ramsgate. Do you enjoy meeting and talking to people and is that an important part of your practice? Yeah, definitely. Thank you, by the way, for popping into the show. Um, I actually remember it vividly. Oh, do you? You came in, I think, with Roman and you were kind of like looking around the space and I was, it's really hard when you're invigilating your own show because you're kind of putting yourself out there constantly yeah. and like people are asking you questions. So it can get quite tiring, especially if people don't, you know, not aren't necessarily in the art industry mm. um, because they don't understand what you're trying to do. So when you came in, you kind of like instantly got it. I was like, oh, yay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like less exhausted. Um, but yeah, no, I do love, I love having spaces because my work's about everyday life. And so 
I find people really fascinating but I'm also an introvert so I find talking to people and going out of my way to talk to people really exhausting so it's like a balancing act and I find that when I can like for example in the shop in Ramsgate it was easy because they were entering like my mind and so I could talk to them or in like an exhibition space they I'm like in my safe space but if it's like a networking thing or a private view I'm very much like oh no I don't hello how are you what do you do and it's like all the boring questions I just like instantly fall into them and then I'm like I don't know how to read people when they get uncomfortable or if they want to move on so I'm very much like very socially anxious but I do I love meeting people and I and it does heavily influence my work especially when I notice how in one conversation their point of view changes so much oh really Um, yeah I love watching people's kind of like mind expand or change or the stubbornness that comes because I feel like that is just our everyday life and we never really talk about it that much and do you think that your work does that then it encourages people to stop and think or are people kind of open to having their mind changed? I mean, I don't know. I feel like I like to really upset people. Not upset people, but I like to kind of like press the buttons. And especially with the Don't Flush It Down installation at Crate, it was very much a lot of men came in and they were like, oh yes, cancel culture, cancel culture, because I made this whole poster about being cancelled. And they were like, I'm so fed up of like all these PC people. And I was like, this work is literally about feminism and like men saying whatever they want on the internet and getting away with it. And and I was like, it's funny how you've connected with that and you've just taken your own narrative and like run with it instead of actually finding out about what it's really about. And then I love having the conversation with them and, and seeing how their mind is suddenly like completely changed and almost like warped it's it's quite interesting but also really funny and you said earlier about people being stubborn as well do you find that people are quite stubborn in their own opinions so so stubborn I'm really stubborn so I I get it but it it is it's a really big inspiration when someone comes in and they are so stubborn in how they think and how I think in the shop I had someone come in and they were like, oh, so you, you're a Tory, you're right wing then. And I was like, I don't know how you're getting this, that <laughs> assumption from my work, but I can, <laughs> I can really, you know, I'll, I'll go along with it and I'll see why. But they were very stubborn. Like they wouldn't, even when I said later on, I was like, oh, I'm not that, I'm this. They wouldn't, they were like, but you're not because in your work you're this. So it's hard to change people's minds when they've, put the assumption on you i guess that your work your work is confrontational but it's interesting that you actually receive opinions back all the time actually the worst one i had it was the don't flush it down one and i had a guy came in and we were spending like talking for quite a long time and he left and then he came back again and he then turned to me and he was like do you want to go shag in the cupboard and I was like, wait, what? Like, what have you, where has this come from? He's like, oh, you know, just the show and like you and like how you are. I just thought that you were, you know, coming on to me. <laughs> I was like, in what world? Like, I just couldn't believe it. So I get like a lot of very extreme reactions. Right. It's weird, yeah. <laughs> wow, that is intense. And it leads me very nicely to my next question because... Uh, we received some very interesting comments from a local article promoting this exhibition and you said that it fuels you. How do you receive backlash and how do you use it to channel into your art? So I, when I first started drawing, like I, I drew these kind of naked martini ladies and they would like just love themselves and they went viral on Instagram before like the algorithm and everything happened so they were kind of like on the me too hype without me really trying to I was kind of 19 20 at the time and people would get tattoos of them and stuff but they also came with a lot of backlash and like a lot of people hated them and it would be ranging from they had cigarettes and they were naked ranging from things like how dare you draw something with a cigarette like it promotes lung cancer to I don't want to see vulgar naked ladies on social media 
two things like self-love is a load of lies and it wasn't really that harmful but when you're young that it really takes an effect on you so I quickly learned that social media is not a safe space and that you've got to just basically be brave if you want to like share stuff and at the time I found it really difficult because like lots of personal stuff were going on but I I actually used the backlash to channel my work so since then I've had like loads of comments about toilets and how disgusting I am for working in toilets and how it's horrible that I make such vulgar work and I mean even one of the comments on the thing was like why aren't there any real ladies anymore it's actually hilarious I think even when I opened up the shop in Ramsgate I wasn't really working on toilets at the time or poo but he was like there was a comment on the Ramsgate shop and it said these artists these days they can just put poo in glass boxes and you know get art funding and I was like that's a genius idea Um, I didn't do it but like wow you know there's two ways you can look at it which is like you can either let it bring you down or you can like let it fuel something and it is gonna some comments like really do bring you down you know I had a comment on the toilets about the graffiti not being very good graffiti and I was like maybe they're right so I redid the graffiti but then other comments are like that's so hilarious that I need to like put this somewhere because that's come from an actual person and that view exists and people are thinking about it so if I put it out there as a woman in art what response is that gonna get yeah those those comments were really interesting I was surprised I think that I've been following your work now for like over a year and I just thought I wasn't expecting it you know like people like Debbie Shrigley are doing kind of similar and is he receiving one of these kind of comments no, and it's no. because you're a woman and you're talking about the daily lives of a woman that then you get all of these messages from mostly men. Oh, it's all men. It's yeah. it's all mostly... I've never really had one from a woman, but they are all mostly men um, saying stuff about either being... They don't want to hear it, they don't want to see it, and that I shouldn't be doing this thing. And I do think it is a thing of just women being in arts anyway. And I, I try not to look at it like that, but it is an actual thing. And it is just because I'm talking about like bodily fluids that they just can't hack it. Only recently that like tampon or sanitary towel adverts are using anything vaguely resembling red stuff. I know. <laughs> it's Our periods aren't blue. <laughs> just because it's a bit more powerful. It's like, you know, it's blue, so it must be masculine. Literally. You think of toilet bleach, it's clean. I know. The connotations of that is just so detrimental to anyone in the world because men think that we have these weird blue (laughs) people. The age girls are so embarrassed. They're so embarrassed. Because what's happening to them is not normal. I know. It's kind of sanitization of what actually happens to our bodies literally it is a sanitization thing but i i mean i'm obsessed with color theory and like how blue and red have changed over the past hundred years like red used to be it was signified with men because they the army uniforms used to be red so it was like a real kind of like masculine color but now it's seen as a very kind of like demeaning passionate and feminine color it's yeah fascinating i'm sorry i'm sidetracking but I find it interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. You're right. It's totally derailed. In fact, the kind of sexy red dress of Jessica Rabbit and yeah. and the colour of love and roses at Valentine's. Literally. I'd love to see Jessica Rabbit doing a poo. <laughs> <laughs> so, on to that, we have to speak about it. Toilets and poo. Where did your interest in these topics start? Oh, it's really hard. With the toilets I was doing my MA and I was I was doing this kind of like live performance where I was drawing and drawing and drawing and a lot of people have asked this questions of like where did it originate from and each time I give a different answer because I don't know the answer and I was thinking about this before I came on today but I actually think it's from I was doing this really cathartic drawing and it got to like the end and I had literally nothing left in my brain and I started to draw really weird things like I started to talk about like endometriosis, which I have, and I like then I started to talk about like like 
sex positions and like I was like this is so inappropriate that I literally don't have anything else to share and then it was like at the end I think I wrote my mind is a toilet and then that's what based the next exhibition I did where I literally got a toilet and made a paper mache brain and put it on the toilet and then it was people could write on little notes and flush them down the toilet and it was a very kind of like cathartic Thing where anyone could come in and write a note and then flush it down the toilet and so it was kind of like my mind is a toilet flush all the pain away and I started playing a lot with this toilet idea and then a friend of mine was like can you come and do an installation in my toilet in Paris and I was like go on then <laughs> so I basically like decorated or put like an art installation into this toilet and it was so much fun and I realized how much the toilet's a space where everyone goes to and that everyone has access well in western culture has access to the toilet and how if we put art in a toilet it's actually very accessible compared to like a white gallery space because it can be quite inaccessible to some individuals so I found it like a an, an easy space to connect with and that how much fun it would be to experiment with and then the whole thing of like graffiti and how that goes in with like the fluidity of everyday life and how people like love to draw like little penises or love to write things like oh um like you look beautiful today or like just do a scribble like everyone can express themselves in the toilet and so I thought it's a great place to make art and I love the toilet but poo wise that came after the toilet that was like more connected to a, a health thing yeah because Pooh says loads about health doesn't it do you remember that tv show that was on was it in channel four that this poo expert would go into workplaces and get people to poo in pots and then she'd be like you need to eat more vegetables <laughs> she's my hero for <laughs> what it was called but um yeah i need to send it to you immediately so good and i learned from that actually Pooh tells you a lot about where you are. My mum just turned 60 and she'd been going on about how she needs to poo on a stick. You turn 60, you get this stick through the place. <laughs> really? I didn't know that. Like a little like, health checkup. <laughs> and poo is like such a big thing and it can tell you so much. So much. What's going on in your body. Yeah. Um, it's a really valid thing to talk about and also to encourage people not to be embarrassed because like yeah i've had loads of like health problems got endometriosis as well and i've had to poo in a pot a million times <laughs> and got the technique down <laughs> um, but yeah you know like, you just shouldn't be embarrassed about these things no it's just it's natural everyone does it it's literally they aren't gonna die literally this is i think this is the thing like i couldn't poo for three weeks and i remember being like i'm going to die yeah and like it was like i couldn't walk my tummy was like so stretched and it was so funny because i had like these x-rays and i decided to post it all over my social media and i had actually like quite a few unfollows and like quite a few like my story viewing dropped significantly and i found it quite interesting because i was like people really don't like this and like the shame that it brings when you talk about poo and also the humor but it was very much like i would show a a scan and it would be like all the way up to my ribs like the the gas and the the poo (laughs) and you will literally like die if you don't poo and it is terrifying (laughs) so I made like loads of these works about like not being able to poo and then I made actual poo like fake poo out of foam and it was so much fun and now I can poo just so everyone knows oh it's a happy (laughs) every time I have a poo though I'm like yes you did it (laughs) it here's a very famous Italian artist that pooed in a tin Oh, I know who you mean. And then sealed them up and then sold them for the price of gold. Yeah. Genius. And that's what I should do. But I'm not a real woman, so... Hell yes, real women. (laughs) Only a man could do that. (laughs) Any men do? (laughs) Piero Manzoni. Oh, yes. Piero Manzoni, there you go. I can leave that question hanging in the podcast. It'll just be all... We need to know. be shouting at us. I know. (laughs) a dream of mine and I, I probably might get cancelled now would would be to 
make a pigment out of my poo and like paint like loads of paintings with it and not tell anyone. And then when they're like in collectors' houses, turn around and be like, ha ha ha, you've got my shit in your house. <laughs> I mean, so long as it's properly sealed. Yeah. Breathing in poo particles, it's got to be sanitary. Obviously. Uh, yeah, I, I think to make it, I'd have to like boil it to make sure that it's hygienic. <laughs> I, I probably won't do this. Yeah, I guess like if you dehydrate. Yes. So it goes down into like powder. Yeah. And then mix it. Yeah, because that's why I did the map center. Is it? And then I took it as pills. It's really helped with your hormones. The center is like packed full of. That's amazing. Nice, like vitamins. Yeah. I guess you could do something like that. <laughs> yeah. I do have seen lots of women kind of eat their placenta as they've given birth. Yeah. That I find it really I interesting. It. Yes, it's, yeah. still, it's very natural. Wow. Uh, anyway, we digress. Lono, your work often speaks about mental health and safe spaces. How important do you feel it is to address this in art? I think mental health and art come hand in hand. And I think you can't really have one without the other. I think art has been scientifically proven to any form of creativity, singing, dancing, drawing has been proven to boost like your mental health and, and actually create a sense of fulfillment, purpose or just expression. And I think they, in terms of mental health being important to us, I think it's really important. Safe spaces is something that's stemmed out of like my own personal experience. I just, I've moved 27 times in 25 years and then, I know, so many times. And then my family home, which was like our base, got destroyed in an earthquake. So I've never had like a sense of identity or space. And so safe spaces to me is much more than just kind of like safety as a woman, but also a, a place of belonging and that place of kind of like escape, privacy, the you know, the psychology behind spaces I'm also fascinated by. And that link to art is also how I'm, the toilets for me is a, a space which I relate as a safe, safe space. Um, so the mental health is more of a, a, like a general, how I got into art. And then the safe space is something that I'm, it's actually helping me work through some like childhood stuff. <laughs> Yeah. And when you say about how you got into art, so you studied puppetry first. Yeah. And then you went on to study art. How did you come to that? So I was, I only studied one year of art school and my tutor was like, you're, he was amazing. And he was like, oh, you know, you, you could be really good at this. And so I went to an open day at a drama school because I thought I wanted to do drama. And they were like, oh, we've got four people on the puppetry course and we need six. Do you want to do puppetry? And I was like, yeah, but I've still got my one year of A-levels to do. You know, I can't leave school a year early. And they were like, yeah, you can. So I basically got my AS levels and went to uni a year early so I went at 17 <laughs> and decided to do puppetry just because it meant that I could leave school early and it was a mixture of art and drama and I was trained at a drama school and I very very quickly worked out that I really didn't like drama and I really loved making and anything to do with the craft so like at puppetry we did like CGI animation like Indian shadow puppets but we also did kind of like the movement and like theatre training and I really didn't like that side but I really loved the making side and so then I realised that I wanted to go into the kind of like the art practice and then left doing that and decided I was like working for myself for a while and then I was like I need to do a master's because I've got massive imposter syndrome and I'd feel like I'm not getting anywhere and I feel like this is wrong because there's so many outsider artists that I know who are incredible but actually for me it really helped my confidence knowing that I've done 
fine art at university because it helped me be like actually anyone can be an artist but I can now really go for it because I've now had formal training well it's like a bit of validation isn't it and it doesn't really mean anything anything, but just mentally psychologically sometimes it was yeah it does really help for me it was very validating but if I always say like you don't have to do education to be an artist like you really don't it was just a validation thing for me. And did you find like the MA, did they actually teach you stuff that you didn't know? Did it change the way you thought? Massively. I had an amazing tutor. She left halfway through, but I had a mixture of tutors after that. Some made me really angry, which actually has made my whole practice what it is. Um, <laughs> so I just feed off like people basically telling me I can't do something. <laughs> But yeah, the MA was really good. And it also, it was very critical thinking. And so I had to put like loads of ideas together, which I'd never really thought about. And I, I'm a quite a commercial artist, like I sell merch. And I had a tutor tell me that I was a sellout and that I shouldn't do that because it's really bad. And so I kind of like wrote my a whole part of my dissertation on the commercial fine artist. And I like listed all these examples. <laughs> It was really therapeutic, actually. Yeah, I bet. And how many of those like really successful, more commercial women artists did you come across? Uh, very few. Yeah, I was trying to think then. I mean, obviously, Kasama. Yeah, and I, for me, I think Magda Archer was a really big one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I wrote about her quite a bit in the terms of the commerciality of her work. Yeah. Yeah. I can't think of any more. No. I wrote mainly about men. Yeah, because if you think about it, there's Jacoons, Damien Hurts. I mean, like, all of those guys are dropping merch left, right, centre. Yeah. There's a whole load of men. Yeah. But maybe she said that because you're a woman. Maybe. I think it was it was a protector thing, but it was also, for me, it was also like, how dare you? Like, And I also find being a... I actually love calling myself a sellout because it gives me a lot of freedom in making work. Like, okay, I'm a sellout for trying to fund my practice. Yeah. Um, sorry. <laughs> yeah, did you see that article that came out that said that lots of creatives are making way less than minimum wage? Yeah. Just came out recently, right? And you thought, I mean... It's just that's the reality of it. It is a reality of it. And I and even it's funny because people are like, oh, you must make so much off selling your prints and your T-shirts. And I'm like, no, actually, I don't. It, it covers my website costs and it, and it probably covers my rent. Mm. But I don't pay myself from those sales unless I suddenly got loads of people buying stuff, um, which isn't a reality that I've ever had. But it 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 could you know it could change but right now it's it's mainly to just support the thing that I love um and I find it fascinating that it's so many people are so scared of it but it's also I think that's a bit the snobbery of the art world as well yeah there's so much of that that people turn their nose up to be like oh my god you're actually trying to make money in a very blatant way how dare you <laughs> how dare you because we sell things but we don't talk about it yeah Oh no, the prices of these artworks. <laughs> Literally. How could I? Art isn't money. It's like this kind of weird fairy tale that they've made up to say that a successful artist should only be successful because of validation, not because they're actually selling things. Literally. Unless a collector is selling their work at auction. Exactly. <laughs> I find it, yeah, it's, it's so funny. That's what I quickly learned at university. And I, I have had a lot of like, oh, I'm doing it all wrong. Like the reason I'm not becoming successful, like in a, in a way that I see other people becoming successful is because I sell much. Mm-hmm. And I find it very interesting that I can't compare myself because I'll never be like them and my work's not like them. But I also find it very difficult to keep my morals strong. So, your work visualises all the thoughts we suppress and keep to ourselves, scrawled across canvas and paper for all to see. It's relatable, but also a relief to see that we think the same. I think this comes back to mental health and realising that you're not alone, that there is always someone else who feels the same. It's just our society often makes us feel that we have to suppress it and put on a brave face. Do you think art as therapy can help and has it helped you? Yeah, art as therapy is amazing. 
I actually did loads of research into it because it, I always say art saved my life. And I know that's like a really dramatic comment, but it actually did. After the earthquake happened, I started drawing these like martini ladies. And then after a time, I, I kind of realized why I was doing that. And it's literally proven that when you start drawing, you're using both sides of your brain and it releases a chemical in your brain called dopamine. And it basically is that feel good chemical that when you're drawing something and you don't know how to talk about it, you, you're literally putting it into something. So it doesn't matter what that thing is. Like it could be writing, it could be drawing fashion, it could be putting textures on a piece of paper. You're literally expressing something that you've been harboring inside of you. You're releasing it. And so I find it really therapeutic when I am drawing. And when I, it's funny because I was talking about this earlier with someone, I can find when I, I haven't been drawing or painting for a while because I get really kind of like uptight and like anxious. And I find that my work is not as good in terms of like admin when I haven't been creative. And when I've been creative, I find my, my, my brain's a lot freer. I find that I'm a lot more happy. I find that I can just easily communicate or express myself a lot better. But if I haven't drawn in a while, I tend to just be a little bit, yeah, the, uh, not a great version of myself. That's interesting. It's a bit like uh, a vice, isn't it? That you have to have this release. Do you put a studio in Margate? Do you go in then to paint and draw quite I do, but I, I also feel like I put too much pressure on being there to create. I also like, I draw on really anything, like sometimes back of receipts, like if I'm really desperate, I'll like just do something anywhere really. And it's not even about it being good. It's just about expressing something. And even in notes on your iPhone, I just, <laughs> I just like write things down that I will turn into a painting. So it doesn't necessarily have to be painting or drawing. Sometimes it is writing as well. And I love writing and there's so much text in my work that it's sometimes a bit too much, but it comes from a very like subconscious and sometimes angry and, and sometimes happy place. That just reminded me while you were talking earlier, uh, something popped into my mind and I was like, oh, I must ask you this to be relevant to that time. So now I'm going to go back to the toilets. Yeah. <laughs> so backtrack. No, I am. But... You, I remember you saying to me that you had made painting for a gallery and they were like, oh, there's a toilet in a key. Can you do me? Give me this painting without a toilet. Do you find that people are censoring in that way? Because it feels like a bit of a censor. People do censor, yeah. And I've had like a lot of, uh, actually, the what I think is the one gallery I was talking about, toilets aren't just going to go down well here. So it, it's it's funny that people do censor. And I understand why, because, you know, different audiences and stuff. But as someone who's, like, all about freedom of expression, it's yeah. very hard to take it. I'm like, now you've just made me want to do more bad things. <laughs> Send you one in the post. <laughs> but just never dream of asking i mean you know maybe in like the kind of initial concepts when when you say you know i really love this side of your practice can we have this kind of thing for for a show yeah but if you finish the piece (laughs) and you say this is it and they go oh no (laughs) we don't want that you know yeah it's it's interesting it happens quite a lot actually yeah, I think I think it's because there's um, and something I find really difficult as well because there's two sides to my practice. One is the uh, paintings, and that's kind of you know I've been working on my paintings for a while and I like, developed a style. And then there's like my heavy text works, which are quite political, and the toilet works and stuff. And they are very much kind of I try and link them and like create a bond with them, but they I also find that they're quite separate. And so when people do approach me and they're like, I want works like this, I'm in the mindset of creating works that are very text heavy. And so it's hard for me to kind of sometimes revert and go back. I feel like I'm going backwards, which is difficult. I actually made two paintings recently and basically told myself that it had to be a mixture of both of them. And it was so hard 
that I can I can do it. Oh really? Mm, yeah. So, so I feel like I know this is it, it's styles and stuff, but it, it, I find I was even talking to a friend this morning, and and they were saying how difficult it is, and no one really talks about it when they're an artist. Is when you have styles and you're kind of like building those and trying to build a consistency how when you kind of like do something different or you go you're you kind of feel like you're reverting in on yourself and it doesn't feel natural but actually it's very natural but it, it it's it is hard because you just want to keep exploring and growing and and as soon as you find a style that you like you're ready to move on to the next thing but a gallery is like oh I like that do more of that and you're like I'm already over here making yeah. something completely different yeah and how does that make you feel like if someone says that, then I, you know, well, no, now I'm making this like, this is what I have available in that style. Yeah, it depends on who it is and if they understand my work. Like, if they come to me and they're like, oh, your work's about this. And then I'm like, well, no, actually, you're wrong. And then I'm like, I've got only got this available. But if they're like, oh, I really like what you're doing. Like, this is so amazing. Like, I really understand, like, what's going on here. I'm like... I'll do anything you want. <laughs> well, not really, but like it's more of like a connection yeah. thing. That and it's kind of yeah. I feel like whoever you work with, obviously, it's about connecting with them and understanding. So I think that there's a huge difference between taking yourself seriously and taking art seriously, and I think people often get confused between the two. Do you find that people disregard your work as being too playful when in fact, while the subject may be playful, there are bigger and deeper topics being discussed? Yeah, so this is literally what I was just saying, how yeah. some people were like, oh, she's so, like, she's a, you're so funny, it's very lighthearted. And I'm like, it's really not lighthearted. I mean, some of it can be, and, and some of it really is. But most of it is, I use a lot of humour to cope I love laughing so I find it very relaxing and also I like to just kind of like take the mick out of myself and my situation because it puts me into a more grounding space that's just my personal experience but I do use it I find a lot that people are like oh this is so funny and light-hearted but I feel like they miss the message and I, I'm never going to appeal to everyone art is so subjective and and I'm glad that they're taking something away from it but I also feel like sometimes I wish I was a bit more clearer mm. on the message like it's so mundane and so down to kind of like and anyone's experiences I made this one screen print that was like um I don't want to have a conversation I'm right you're wrong and it was really popular everyone loved it and it was mostly just people being like, oh, yes, that's my husband. Oh, yes. And then they were like, so what, who did you make this off? A bad friend? I was like, no, myself. And they couldn't take it. They were like, what do you mean you're right and everyone's wrong? I was like, yeah, I'm right and everyone else is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, that's really, you can't say that. And I was like, I can say that. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it is hard because I like, it's, it's hard when someone doesn't understand because it feels like they're not understanding you. I feel like people only have a very limited attention span. So the humour is very instantaneous. You see it, you think, ha, 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 and then move on to the next thing. Yeah. Whereas if you spend a little bit more time with your works and you see that actually it is about something a lot deeper, and a lot of them are, some of them are just, you know, fun. <laughs> and some of them are, like, actually talking about, you know, much deeper issues. Mm. And I think that you know people are kind of more rewarded for slower looking and that's something that I've always been really interested in uh, your work is like a prime example thank you yeah although sometimes I do get taken uh like I'm being offensive um <laughs> this is so mad but recently I had someone walk into a, my studio and I have a picture that was actually an old painting it was done about three years ago and it says earthquake dot dot and then it's there and then it's someone lying on the floor with a brick on their forehead and it says pain is a brick on your forehead and so it's kind of like when you first glance it and you're like haha that's funny it's like someone's got a brick on their forehead from the earthquake and then people are like that's really offensive like that's you can't draw that but what I drew that after the earthquake happened and so it was very much a, like a pain is a brick on your forehead in sense of like it's not just the pain of like losing your home and your family it's like literally like 
the pain that you get when something falls onto you. And it was like, for me, it was like a, a humorous thing to cope with something. But some, like, I've had people walk in, especially with what's going on at the moment in Turkey, which is so dreadful. People have taken such offense to it. So I've had to take it down. <laughs> oh. oh, really? Mm, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it is because you're talking about something that's your own personal and lived experience. And people are seeing that and putting their own projections onto it. And. Yeah, I mean, that is the, the danger of art, isn't it? Because you make it from a place that is very personal to you. And then once you put it out into the world, then it's out there for everyone else to see and to project on. Yeah. Just changes. Which I do love. I love when people yeah. connect with that. Uh, it sounds like you just love when there's a reaction. <laughs> I know. You know bad or... At least it activates conversation. And uh, that's what I like about you is that you're not afraid to have awkward conversations with people. You're there, the face of your artwork. Like, literally, you wear your merch, <laughs> yeah. your converse that are drawn all over. Yeah, I always find it really cringe when I do that. <laughs> I'm like, oh well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she I'm a brand. <laughs> no one else is gonna better represent you than you. Yeah. <laughs> so we opened your exhibition, The Toilet, during Power of Women Festival, which takes place across Stanet throughout the month of March. It's a month of celebrating women everywhere in the creative industries. Your work is often loaded with feminism reclaiming our bodies, our wants and our desires. Such a ridiculous question because I already know the answer. Do you think the issues we stand up for in feminism are improving? And if not, how can they be improved? Yes and no. <laughs> I don't know. I'm curious to know what you think my answer is. Um, I think feminism needs to be intersectional. So it needs to be like something that's widely spread and basically includes all minorities and and basically as a you know i'm a privileged white woman so i need to make space for those around me who don't have the voice and don't have that space and i think in feminism we need a lot more of that but in terms of things changing and growing sometimes i'm like yes you know we've come so far we're doing so many things and then sometimes i'm like we're literally nothing's changed and i find it really difficult and and people always ask me, they're like, what, what's the point of International Women's Day? And I'm like, we need International Women's Day because we need to actually look at what's going on in the world and look at the statistics and look at like the street harassment and look at kind of like domestic abuse. And also International Women's Day gives place and space for these events to happen, like the power of women, where women and any kind of gender to meet and learn and hear stories. Like a, um, someone really close to me, a relative of mine, um, went to POW last year and heard a story about domestic abuse and they struggled with domestic abuse. And then they've now, now they work as a volunteer for that domestic abuse charity through POW. And so I feel like Sometimes people are like, oh, International Women's Day is so performative. M maybe, yes, it can be. But it's also a, a space where a lot of important conversations and accessibility happens through meeting people and having the chance to just tell your story. So I think, it'll, I think it will always be important. Yeah. I think we'll always keep growing and changing, though. Like, I'm really scared of becoming a mum and then my daughter being like, you're not a feminist. <laughs> you're so old-fashioned. And I'd be like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I wonder if, like, the, the ideals that we have right now, how they're going to age. I know. How we're going to age with them. I hope that... I'm, I feel like I'm quite open-minded and open and I hope that that is like is a good trait to have yeah you're older definitely you suddenly become a Tory voter I know I'm terrified like, what if I I'm turned like 50 turn Tories <laughs> I hope not I mean my mum's definitely not but I, I feel like <laughs> sometimes my mum says something I'm like no <laughs> and then I'm like no what is my daughter going to be ashamed about when I say yeah. <laughs> I guess like so long as you harbour a nice open yeah relationship so then they can be like no that's not what you should think <laughs> yeah this way <laughs> thank you but yeah uh, I thought that you were going to say no 
I thought you were going to say big fat resounding no things have not improved really feminism because like they haven't really every, and I think that a lot of places say they have and then there's some reports and actual yeah. real life data being collected to say no things are not improving it's like the art world like, oh, you know, we're showing all of these yeah. you know, big blockbuster shows by all these women artists, but it's still not even a scratch. Not at all. And it could be happening at such a faster rate, but it's not happening yeah. at a fast rate. And then yeah. even with me, I was talking to a friend and I was like, you know, I look at like David Trigley, for example, and he's doing things that I also like would love to do, but why are there so many barriers for me? And I just don't understand, I guess, it, I'm like always trying to say to myself, no, that's not the reason, it's not the reason, it's not the reason. But when I come down to the actual hard facts, it is the reason. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it is a big resounding no, but there are parts of things which I do think are improving, just because I have to be an optimistic person. So what do you enjoy most about your practice? Um drawing and just painting and literally just the the fundamentals of creating mm. and what do you find the most frustrating the fundamentals of creating <laughs> and so can you tell me more about your works in the cupboard at liminal gallery yes oh my gosh i don't know where to start so the cupboard Thank you for having me, by the way. Pleasure. Um, it's been, I've never worked on miniature before. And looking at, I've got an amazing sculpture in front of me by Davide. And it's like incredible. And then I'm like comparing it to the toilets. And I'm like, oh my God, it was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's like the natural thing to, I do. I always compare. But it, it was, it's the first miniature thing I've ever done. And it was so much fun as a project just to work on. And I wanted to basically create a, a space which was not private because it's like you're looking in a cupboard. And so it was not private, but also the place of privacy, which should be a toilet. So I wanted to kind of explore like playing with puppets and this whole freedom of expression thing where people can use a puppet to draw something in the toilet and kind of create a space which is a small version of something that you would never really see in a gallery. <laughs> and it's quite an aggressive space, really. You know, like there's lots of signs saying... So aggressive. Remove the toilet doors, we don't apologise. <laughs> you know, we're not sorry for the inconvenience caused and you'll never see yourself because you're a puppet. Yeah. <laughs> I have the mirror. I know. I that written on it. I was going to make a mirror and then it really got like really last minute and I was like, what am I going to write in the mirror? And then I was like making the puppets and I was like, you'll never see yourself because you're a puppet. And then it's like, oh my God, it's like, we'll never see our true selves because we're all puppets. <laughs> and, and then there's lovely handmade toilets, yeah. made clay and also painted with painstakingly made little toilet rolls. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people are really appreciating that on the opening. Like, look at the little toilet <laughs> Yeah. Got your little puppets in there. Yeah, the irrelevant woman artist, which is me, and then the politician who disregards toilets. Yeah. <laughs> you can move them around. You're allowed to touch them, even though I told a child that they were... <laughs> <laughs> and then they looked untrustworthy, so... Yeah, it, I mean, it depends on the person, you know? <laughs> if Boris Johnson came in and he saw a puppet of himself, I don't know if he'd be allowed to play with the puppet. <laughs> Wouldn't be allowed through front door, tell you that. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's a, it's a joyful space, despite it being quite an angry, aggressive space. It's also joyful. You made some tiny miniature paintings. Yes, I did, because I... I also thought in toilets, sometimes you get like, I hate saying this, but like shit art. And I, I just find it fascinating how, like, I don't know what shit art is, but everyone has their own subjective view on it. But for me, it's kind of like something that has been mass produced to a scale, which is 
just for aesthetic purposes and sometimes it's got like a puncture hole in it or like because it's in a toilet it's not really it's just serving a purpose of kind of adding something to a space and so I wanted to create these paintings which were doing that <laughs> which were basically like my shit art in the toilet but obviously they're not that they are very much me and very much like my style but I wanted to add something which was uh, to do with the narrative of because I just love looking at different toilets and what they have to offer and you've also made a print edition yes I've made a print edition which is actually it's one of the small um on the wall next to the paintings there is a little poster that says women's art belongs in the toilet more viewing time which I think it's true. If more women's art were in all the toilets around the world, imagine how much women's art would get viewed. <laughs> that's why at first on the back of a toilet door, I mean, that's just prime location right there. It's prime location. I love adverts on the back of the door. I actually got told off once for, I actually got fined for putting an advert on the back of toilet doors. No way. Yeah. I did like the trade show and I put lo my leaflets. In on the back of toilet doors. That's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, and then they were like, you can't do this. <laughs> Obviously, it had your contact details. Everything, yeah. yeah. My stand number. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's my questions. Cool, thank you. So, Giovanna Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today on the Liminal Gallery podcast. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. And you, thank you for having me. Pleasure. Thank you. I'm so delighted to share the details of our second exhibition space, The Cupboard. Located inside our gallery at Fort Hill in Margate, the tiny but sleek space is an open call for artists living and working in Thanet. Aimed to help support the local creative community, we accept proposals from all practices. It is a playful and unique space to provide a place for artists to experiment with new ideas, build their existing practice and a valuable solo exhibition opportunity to further their careers. The residency spans three months and is selected by me, the founder and director of Liminal, Louise Fitzjohn. To apply for free, please send an email to info at liminal-gallery.com with a subject, the cupboard submission, along with a written proposal, photos, sketches, your CV and a link to your Instagram or website. Applications close on the 31st of May 2023. The Toilet by Jemima Sara is the first show in Liminal Gallery's new exhibition space, The Cupboard. It continues until the 10th of June. We're open Thursdays 11 till 4pm, Saturdays 11 till 3pm and outside of these times by appointment. More information can be found on our website www.liminal-gallery.com Thank you so much for listening to Liminal Gallery podcast with me, Louise Fitzjohn and I hope you'll join me for the next episode featuring Andrew Tor, who has a solo exhibition entitled Nocturnes opening on the 6th of May and continuing until the 28th of May, 2023. The exhibition is co-curated with the newly formed the AOP Gallery and Gemma Pepe. Bye for now. Bye.